and welcome to the Bizarre and Fascinating Details Podcast. I am your host, Sarah, and I've got Darcy as usual with me over on the other side of the country. How you doing, Darcy? Hello, hello. I'm feeling better. I have my voice almost completely back from going to Dallas and watching the Auburn games. Yay! So, yay! <laughs> we tried recording a couple of days ago. It didn't turn out so well. We had a lot of technical difficulties. We had some computer issues. I had some voice issues. We just decided we were going to start over, just start from scratch. So if you're just tuning into this show for the first time ever, which, you know, it could happen, I guess. This is the strange and slightly funny duo here that enjoys talking about strange stuff, crazy cases, true crime, all the little scientific things behind it. Darcy's a PhD student in Um, biomechanics. And I have a law degree and have practiced law, but never criminal law. So I've got a little bit of legal background, but not a super criminally background. But I've always been interested in true crime, and so has Darcy. So yeah. we started this podcast, and we talk about all the crazy, weird, wild, and bizarre stuff in the true crime world in the past, present, and future. And if it's super provocative, we also try to talk about it on this podcast just so we can drum up some interesting topics and get people talking about true crime. Yep. Today's case is very, very interesting, and I am actually going to kick it off with a 911 call. Are you ready, Dars? Let's do it. I'm ready. This is a 911 call. Conversation recorded on October 11th, 2012 at 5.30. 911 emergency. This is Crystal. Yeah, my wife. My wife's dead. Okay, so where exactly is she? They took her. They took her. Who took her? The guy broke into my house. He he drove me here. He, he had a friend. They they just gone. They've gone in a pickup truck. Okay, so your wife is dead. She's dead. Okay, they, they killed her. The they, 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 they took they, her corpse. Yeah, they 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 killed killed her uh, yesterday. We killed her yesterday. Yeah, we 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 have been driving uh, in in Newport Beach. Okay, hold on. Let me get my supervisor on the phone. He said that his wife is dead, but somebody broke into dead. the house and stole and uh, he, he took her. Yeah, he. he what? He he, uh, I, he, Who is he? he um, um, Juan. 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 How do you know Juan? Uh, I picked him up to to look at some painting work at the house. I brought him to the house. And when did this happen? Yesterday, middle of the day. Yesterday, in the middle of the day. When did she die? Yesterday, middle of the day. Okay. And where is she and now? Like eleven. Uh, they have her body. They said they're going to cut her up. Who has her body? Juan and Chi. Okay, so when she died at 11 o'clock, they took her? Yeah, yeah. They, they maybe put her in the car. We. How do you know she's dead? She drowned. She drowned. What? Her body was stiff, even. What? I've been driving with them. They, they say they're going to cut her up. What's your name? Peter Chadwick. Mm-hmm. Are you on any kind of medication, sir? On heavy ones. Okay. I, it's not bad. 
Okay. Because I, I think they're going, uh, they might be going to Mexico or somewhere. Okay, but this happened yesterday at 11. You're now calling us at 5.30 in the morning. I know. I, I want you to get him. Yeah. They're here. Okay, go talk to them. Okay. So, what's your first thought when you hear a call like that? I, uh, I literally, I don't have... Use your I, words, Darcy. Use your words. I can't. I have no... <laughs> it's easily the most bonkers thing I've ever heard. Ever. Not very many things render Darcy speechless. No, very, very few things. <laughs> this 911 call <laughs> clearly did that. Like, I don't even know what I'm hearing. First of all, he sounds disoriented, out of it, like maybe mentally challenged a little bit to me when I hear this call. Um, on drugs, possibly. It sounds like he's literally making up a story as he goes. Like, he calls 911 and didn't know what he was going to say. And so it's like he let the 911 dispatcher lead him. And then he's like, yeah, they took her. Well, how do you know she's dead? And I don't know if you caught this, but he starts to say we. Yeah. So what do you think happened here? Just from from the 911 call alone. Nothing else. I mean, I have to think that he killed her. But I can't imagine why he comes up with this entire story of somebody took her, she drowned, they're they're taking her body to Mexico, they're going to cut her up. Like, I don't, this has so many different directions that it's going in, I can't even wrap my brain around it. (laughs) I think that's part of the reason why I picked this one out. Not that murder's funny and not that what happened to this woman is funny in any way, shape, or form. Because let's be honest, it is not. This is a tragic situation. Somebody lost their life. But this is just so completely insane. You would think that somebody who's going to call 911 after a murder happens, number one, if they killed her themselves, they would take the time to concoct a believable or somewhat believable story before they call 911. And number two, if they in fact did not kill that person, that there would be some modicum of emotion or sadness or fear or something when you call. Yeah. I did not gather any of that from this 911 call. It's completely emotionless, completely like he no regrets, doesn't miss her, doesn't care what happened to her. They have her go find him kind of a thing. Well, and he's talking to the dispatcher is like, what do you what do you mean who killed her? They killed her. Like, don't you know? Like they're supposed to know. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's some kind of ESP that happens between a 911 operator and a 911 caller. Yeah. And clearly, to me, it also reeks of disbelief on the part of the dispatchers. Oh, 100%. Just like, yeah, right, whatever. How would, how would you respond to that? Like, that's just... <laughs> Not only that, but she goes to get her, her supervisor, and her supervisor's like, really? And you're just now calling us right. at 5.30 the next day? Right. What the hell is wrong with you, you freak? Okay. Let's unwrap this story a little bit, because this story is about Peter Chadwick, if you gathered from the conversation so far, and he did give his name on the phone call. Peter Chadwick was a Newport Beach real estate investor, and he was married to a woman by the name of Quee Chadwick, also known by QC, and we're going to refer to her in this story as QC because her friends and family used that name on her as well. Okay. Okay, so let's back this up for a second to the very beginning. 
Peter and QC started dating in college. Neither one of them was originally born here in the U.S. Peter was a British citizen initially and later gained U.S. citizenship. And QC was from Malaysia. And she also came here in college to sort of experience American culture. The two met at Arizona State University. Okay. And bonded. They were both sort of from a different place. And needed each other to sort of navigate the way American culture was. Because neither one of them was super familiar with it. Both of them were sort of shy and withdrawn a little bit. Mm Because they didn't really know how to navigate American culture as much. Peter, I think by nature, was a very shy, reserved, and introverted type of person. QC was a lot more outgoing with a sense of humor, a little bit more extroverted. But when she first came here, she was just like him because she was she didn't speak English well and was trying to learn American culture and language. Okay. So those two bonded over that and developed this relationship and ended up getting married in 1991. At that point, they had three children together. At the time of this particular incident... They had an, a 9-year-old, an 11-year-old, and a 15-year-old. Oh, wow. Okay. So their children were a little bit older. They weren't super young. And what happened was the children went to a private school. The oldest 15-year-old was away at boarding school. And the other two were at a private school in the Newport Beach area. Now, QC really, really firmly believed in education, extracurricular activities. The kids were in sports, they were in music, they took piano lessons, and she really put a very strong emphasis on schooling. And for that reason, they were enrolled in a very prestigious private school in the Newport Beach area, and the parents would kind of ferry them back and forth from the school, you know, in the beginning of the day when they were going, and then pick them Mm -hmm. up at the end of the day. Well, nobody was there to pick the kids up at the bus stop. So they would get dropped off at a special bus stop. They had a chartered bus that would take the kids from the bus stop to the school. Well, the kids got dropped off at the bus stop, and no one was there to pick them up. And it was the first time this had ever happened One of the neighbors, whose kids was also enrolled at this school, noticed the two boys sitting on the bench and was just like, what's going on? Where are your parents? And they said, we have no idea. Now, both the neighbor and the kids tried calling the parents and got no answers. Phone was just going straight to voicemail. Either parent. Either parent. Okay. So, the neighbor says, you know, I don't know what's going on. Maybe an emergency popped up. Maybe they're in the hospital. Maybe an accident happened. We don't know. We're going to take these kids home and figure this out. So they keep trying to call the parents for a few hours after that. And that evening they decide, hey, this, there's something is wrong. This whole thing starts on Wednesday, October 10th, 2012. Okay. So at 7 a.m. that morning, Peter heads out to work to, he has a bunch of rental properties that he manages and oversees. He drops the kids off and then never picks them up at the end of the day. So this is Hmm. Wednesday, October 12th. Eventually, the neighbors end up calling the police because they're like, what's going on here? We need somebody to go over to that house and do a welfare check. Mm -hmm. So the police start calling around, trying to figure out what's going on. They go by the house. Everything looks normal. They don't really have any cause to go into the house at that point because it's just a welfare check. They keep calling people, friends, neighbors, family, trying to figure out what's going on with them. And when they are unable to reach anyone, they decide to go into the house. They enter the home. In the kitchen, lunch is prepared. 
there's stuff on the counters and it looks like someone just kind of left abruptly, but everything is very neat and tidy. So they don't necessarily think there's any foul play going on at that point. Like maybe there was they just an in, emergency. They had to leave quickly right. or something. Okay. Right. So then they go into a side office and they see the safe is open and the contents of the safe, money, passports, that kind of stuff is out strewn about like somebody had rapidly dug through the safe. So at that point, I think some some little red flags are starting to pop up. The police are starting to think something something weird's going on here. Then they go upstairs. Upstairs in the master bedroom, there is blood around the tub, droplets of blood on the wall, the backsplash in the tub, and blood on towels. Hmm. It is at that point that the police starts to think, okay, we've got some foul play involved here. Either that or there was an accident and he took her to the hospital. Right. They start calling around to the hospitals and no one has seen or heard of this couple. They are effectively disappeared into thin air. So the, the neighbors call for a welfare check. The police at first don't enter. And then after an extended period of time, they do go in the house and that's when they see blood, but they can't find either person. So they don't know what's happened yet. Correct. Okay. The kids left school around 3.15, and that's when the, this whole thing started because no one was there to pick them home. Okay. At 7.45 p.m., the police enter the home for the welfare check. They see the lunch. They see the open safe. They go up into the master bedroom. They see QC's phone, rings, wallet, etc., and broken glass, a broken vase, blood on the walls, blood on the floors, and the tub, and towels. Okay. At that point, they're like, we need a search warrant. Right. So they get a search warrant for this house. The security camera footage for the complex is something that they also looked at, and they see that at 1.32 p.m., a Lexus SUV that belongs to Peter leaves. They only see Peter in it. They don't see anyone else, okay? So keep that in your mind there, right there. Okay. So... Once they completely search the house, they don't find any bodies. All, all they find is that blood and the blood on the towels. Then they start to think, okay, we've got to dig for more information. Luckily, Thursday, October 11th, 5.30 a.m., a 911 call comes in. And that's the call that I played at the beginning of the show. The call is coming from the Arco station about 100 miles from Newport, four miles from the Mexican border in a small suburb of San Diego called Lakeside. Mm. So just if you're not clear, Arco is a gas station. Peter actually ended up talking to the dispatcher for the San Diego Police Department. Okay. So then they start to put these things together and they start to, he starts giving them an explanation of what happened to his wife. He told the police that two men, one named Chi and one named Juan, had killed his wife, primarily Juan, but that he had been approached by Juan earlier in the day who asked him if there was any handyman work that he could do on Peter's rental properties in his apartment. Okay. Evidently, he did not have anything for Juan to do on his rental properties because he'd already had someone take care of that earlier, but he said, hey... Juan, guy that I've never met before in my entire life, why don't you come back to my personal residence and do some painting projects in my home? Now, that's not super uncommon, though, when you're just looking for, like, cheap labor, especially in Southern California, you know? But some random man approaches him and asks to do work, and he just brings him home. Yeah, I guess it's weird that he... 
approached, the guy approached him. Like, usually, if that's the case, you're going out and looking for work. And this is a very upscale neighborhood in Newport Beach. The home was about $2.5 million. Mm-hmm. So it's, it's, it's an upscale neighborhood in a gated community. I don't necessarily think people that live in those sorts of communities are just hiring random people off the Yeah, street. they usually have, like, so, a service or... What yeah. Peter then relates at that point is he says that Juan came into the house, he showed him where the painting should be done, and he started taping the area off and showing... Peter that he was working so Peter goes downstairs to his office to take care of some business and leaves Juan upstairs with his wife who's in the master bedroom taking a bath this is 11 o'clock in the afternoon okay why his wife would be taking a bath at 11 o'clock a random person back to his house while his wife was taking a bath yes that's what he says okay okay highly suspicious right yep At that point, he hears his wife screaming and runs upstairs to find Juan strangling her slash drowning her in the tub. He can't make up his mind which one of these things that he prefers to use as the cause of death. And our buddy Juan is holding him off with a two-inch knife. So he's strangling and drowning QC and also holding Peter off with a knife. With a two-inch knife. So keep in mind, Peter Chadwick is 5'7", 160 pounds, brown hair, blue eyes. <laughs> in so he's his, a relatively smaller guy. Yes, a small-ish yeah. gentleman, okay? So he's Juan is holding Peter off with a two-inch bladed, a little, like, <laughs> switchblade knife. I don't really know, right? A two-inch it doesn't knife sound very, is not like, a big tiny, knife. Okay? Yeah. And Peter somehow can't manage to do anything but stand there and watch this man kill his wife. He then commands Peter to wrap his dead wife up in a blanket and get some money and clothing. Commands him with this two-inch knife. Yes. So Peter complies, gets $10,000 in cash home? from the safe, presumably from okay. the safe at home, and wraps his wife in a green blanket and puts her in the back of the SUV, packs a bag for himself... And leaves in the SUV with Juan. Was the packing of the bag part of the command with the knife? Yes. Oh. Evidently, Juan commanded him to pack, pack an overnight of clothes bag. or some clothes. Or pack an overnight bag. Because kidnappers to pack often do that. Night bag. Yes. Got it. Precisely. Checks out. It all looked hastily packed, so it wasn't as if he mm. planned it ahead of time, mm-hmm. so to mm-hmm. speak. Mm-hmm. Okay? So That's one countermeasure he seemed to have worked out um, ahead of time. <laughs> if, if only that one. Yes, and then the closed caption or the the CC footage uh-huh. shows just Peter in the SUV. So there's a guard shack. There's a bunch now, of other cameras. One. I don't know. He doesn't seem huh. to have an explanation for that. Plus, there's also footage from the gas station where he called nine one one, and of course, there's no one in any of the footage for that either. But evidently, maybe one's a vampire. Maybe he does no reflection or whatever, but. Juan takes him down to this San Diego gas station and calls Chi at that point, mm. the second man, the Asian man involved in this whole scheme. Mm-hmm. And then when Chi shows up in a green Chevy pickup truck with a shell back, they both get into the pickup truck and take QC's body and take off. Leaving uh-huh. Peter there with his packed bag and his, and his very pricey, expensive SUV along with 
you know, whatever else he may have with him. Uh-huh. Peter at that point calls 911, he says, that he, I'm free, I'm going to call 911 now at 5.30 in the morning the following day after all this happened. So this all started at 11 a.m. October 10th, and then he doesn't call till October 11th at 5.30 in the morning. And remind me when the welfare check was? 7.45 the previous evening on October 10th. The 10th, okay. Yes. So presumably Peter was driving around with his dead wife in the back of the car for Mm -hmm. approximately... 12, 15 hours around San Diego looking for somewhere to dump the body. And now I know traffic in Southern California is bad, but it does not take you 12 hours to get from Newport Beach to Lakeside. So immediately the police start to investigate Peter Chadwick. Peter Chadwick. Now, how did they come up with that idea? I don't know. He's acting highly suspicious. The call was irregular and he's got scratches and bite marks on his body. From that two-inch knife, yes. right? Now, yeah. when the police ask Peter, how do you have scratch marks and bite marks on you? He says that he struggled with Juan at some point. And he bit him. And tries to blame the bite mark on Juan. Okay. A common defense mechanism, especially when you're yes. holding a knife. So, okay. fast forward several weeks from that date, the police get another 911 call. And it is from a homeowner... In the lakeside area, they have found something that smells like death and decomposition in the dumpster at the bottom of their driveway. Oh, no. Now, the area that these folks live in is a very remote area called Wildcat Canyon. And essentially, it's a bunch of big homes at the top of hills, which have long driveways. And then they have these dumpsters at the bottom of the driveways that typically get picked up at least once a week. This dumpster was scheduled for pickup a couple of hours after the body was located, but they had not come to pick it up because of a billing dispute with the homeowner. Okay. So had the police waited any longer, had the, the stars not aligned on this, they, they quite possibly would have never found QC's body. Wow. Okay. And that could have added a whole nother element to this story because of the fact that it is extremely hard at times to prosecute a case without a body. So they look in the dumpster, they find QC's body along with purses, expensive jewelry, other things inside the dumpster and the green blanket that Peter described on the 911 call and to the officers describing what happened when his wife was murdered. The coroner comes out, they positively identify the body. It is QC, and she, the autopsy says that she died by strangulation. Okay. It is extremely hot. She was decomposing very rapidly. It's a good thing they found her when they did, because this was several weeks later. Otherwise, it might have been a lot harder for them to determine the cause of death as well. Right. By that point, the police decide they are going to arrest Peter Chadwick. He is arrested October 11th, 2012 for murder, but that was because of the crazy 911 call and all the marks on his body and everything, mm-hmm. and he posts bail. How did he get bail? Now... That's an interesting question that you ask, because typically you would not think in a situation like this, in a murder case, that a man would be able to get bail. Right. California actually has a statute that specifically addresses this and says that if you don't have a criminal background, if you don't have if you have roots in the community, if you've got responsibilities and no history of doing anything crazy besides the crime that you're accused of, 
Public safety has to be the first priority, and if there is no significant risk that you will do damage to your community, then they will let you have bail. Now, the prosecution fought very, very hard because they felt strongly that he should not have bail either because of the fact that he was a dual citizen and had passports in both U.S. and GB. Well, and he lived in Newport Beach, so he clearly has means. Right. But because of the statute requirements, they had to let him have bail. So instead of denying the bail, they just upped it to approximately a million dollars and took away his passports. Figuring... This guy's not going to go anywhere. He's got roots in the community. He's got no criminal background. It's very unlikely that he's going to go anywhere. We're good. So, Peter ends up going back and forth. He goes back to the house initially, gets the car, gets QC's car because his car's been impounded because they were looking for signs of struggle, murder, blood, etc., DNA inside the car to try to prove the case against him. So, he goes back, gets QC's car, And moves in with his dad in Santa Barbara. Okay. In the meantime, he holds a 100-day candlelight vigil for QC in the home. In the home where she was killed? Yeah. Basically, the neighbors, the friends of the family, the family were outraged. How dare this man do something like that and send them all emails and invite them to it? Wow. I mean, that's some crazy shit. As the trial moves on, the kids go live with family members. Obviously, he's not allowed to have them in his custody anymore. But Mm -hmm. one thing that the police also found was particularly interesting was the fact that he didn't ask about his kids, not once. Huh. He did not give a damn about what happened to them, didn't ask about them, didn't want to see them, didn't make any moves to be reunited with his children, which, again, just points strongly to guilt. Right. Later on that year... After he'd been going back and forth, two years after he'd been initially arrested, he did not show up for a hearing that he was scheduled to appear in. And that point, the police start to think that maybe he has taken off. Yeah, sure. Instead of searching for him immediately, they sort of dilly-dally for about three weeks. And at that time, they suspect strongly that he has left the country. So... Usually when you get bail, you're not allowed to leave the immediate area. So, like, how did he end up in Santa Barbara? So let's talk about that a little bit. He was allowed to go to Santa Barbara because it's still within the same state. He had gotten permission from the court to do that because he said he needed the support of his family members. Okay. Okay. He was all right with that. And because he was showing up for his hearings and the stuff for his trial, they were not concerned about it until he disappeared. And what he'd been doing in the meantime was expressing to anyone around him who would listen that he was suicidal. So they were starting to think, well, maybe he went and killed himself somewhere. And then the second thing that he was doing was he was taking small test trips to Seattle, Pittsburgh, all around the country in the United States to see if they were watching him. Wow. Clearly they were not. So he took a bunch of test runs all over the place and determined, hey, I can go wherever I want. So he put together a little outfit as, and dressed up as a woman, called a taxi from his father's house, and went to the Santa Barbara airport. He wandered around the airport for a couple of hours, and they caught all of this on CCTV footage. He went into the airport, put on his normal clothes, wandered around the airport for several hours, and then took a taxi cab out of there, and that was the last anyone in California had seen him. So he did not fly out of the Santa Barbara airport? He had a th- huh. 
No. But that allowed him enough time to buy three weeks of a lead that he had on the police. Now, when they started to investigate his home, that's when they started to put more of the evidence together against him. Because when they looked at his computer searches, they found all sorts of things about how to change your identity, how to leave false trails. They also found some interesting information from QC. They discovered at this point that QC wanted a divorce. She'd expressed Mm. to friends and family that she was unhappy, that she felt like she was growing as a person and that she didn't want to be with Peter anymore. She had also done a search of Peter's history on his computer and found a lot of entries for escort workers, Asian escort workers, Mexican escort workers, sex workers, massage, cost of abortions in Orange County, how to get a divorce, divorce attorneys, and most disturbingly, how to torture someone. What? So she handwrites the list of this search engine from his computer, and they think she confronted him with it, and he blew up and killed her. So they found this handwritten list? Yes, in her handwriting, and determined that she had seen the search history and was like, I'm fucking done. I don't want to do this anymore. So at that point, it's pretty firmly obvious to everyone that Peter is the prime suspect in this murder. Right. Now, neighbors say they heard screaming about a week before Peter reported this murder. So something actually could have happened before that. They were not conclusively able to pin down the exact day and time of the murder. So he could have killed her before that. For all yeah, we know. And you can't like date like blood evidence or anything. And it's hard to tell right. when that actually happened. But for the most part, the neighbors said that they were calm and nice and the kids were great. No issues with the, the family until this point. But QC had told neighbors and friends that Peter was not affectionate and she feared he was having an affair and cheating. And she confirmed this when she looked in his search history and found over 35 different searches for escorts and divorce and all that good stuff. Mm-hmm. So Peter disappeared in January of 2015. The murder happened in October of 2012. So he had about three years preparing for this trial before he disappeared. And this whole time, presumably, he's doing his test runs of flying all all over the country and going to airports and all that. He is also, at the same time, taking money out of all of his bank accounts. He had various different bank accounts and taking advances off as many credit cards as he could so that he could compile about a million dollars, they figure. How is this not being monitored? I don't even know. It seems crazy that they weren't unable to pick all of that up. Right. But once they discover that he is missing, they issue a $100,000 reward and they start a global manhunt for him. The U.S. Marshals are on it. They're going to go find him. They're going to bring him back, they determine. They did a bunch of different podcasts in 2020 and 48 hours and all that kind of stuff was like reporting all about this case. And they started this massive effort to find Peter Chadwick. That's crazy. There was all of this, like, search of podcasts and information all there. I've never heard of this. In the meantime, <laughs> Peter is hanging out in Mexico. With Juan. He's at a resort. He has changed his hair color to darken it up and grown a goatee. Initially, he was staying at some swanky and posh hotels, living it up. 
having a good time. But then Mexico, I don't know if you're aware of this, within the last couple of years has tightened a lot of their rules and laws with respect to people that do not have citizenship in Mexico. And many hotels will now require a visa or a passport or something else when people check in. So Mm. Peter was asked out at that point and couldn't stay at the swanky hotels anymore because they were going to require identification. And that was how he was going to get found out. For some reason, he never got a fake ID. Like, he changed all this shit on how to find an identity, but he never got a fake ID, except for he got this little cheesy sort of fake secret agent thing that he would occasionally flash and tell people that he was working with the the government on some sort of secret project. You know how you can tell somebody doesn't work for the government? Is that they brag about working for the government. Right, exactly. They say that it looks like he had a little bit of facial work done, maybe some plastic surgery, because they said he definitely Mm. looked a lot younger. But he essentially went straight to Mexico City, and he was in a little town called Puebla, which is south of Mexico City. And he did not realize the U.S. Marshals were after him. I mean, this guy clearly does not sound like he may be a brilliant businessman, but he sounds like he doesn't have a lot of common sense. No, not at all. He was in this small village near Guatemala and Mexico City, next, right next to a country club where he played tennis on the regular. <laughs> he went by aliases Paul Cook, Paul Craig, and John Franklin and stayed at expensive hotels at first and then ended up having to switch over when the regulations changed. But he said that he, was a top, he had top secret clearance and would flash this secret agent badge occasionally to try to get people off of his trail. But he ended up having to pick up odd jobs. He taught English. He bussed tables. And was actually, they believe he was also communicating with family and friends who were sending him money as well. Although they cannot conclusively prove who did what and when. But they know that somebody had to have been supporting him for him to stay at large that long. Yeah, I mean, a million dollars goes a long way in Mexico. But it, 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 eventually it's gonna, you're still going to yeah. run out. Well, in the meantime, the U.S. Marshals are tra- tracking him. And right, so everything has he to had cash. to have spent quite a bit of money living it up when he first got down there, and then money for the plastic surgery, and then money for travel, and all that kind of stuff. But they had active right. leads on this guy in Japan, Canada, Belize, Panama, and Ukraine. So he oh was God. like, I think he must have traveled other places as well to try to throw the, the government off, right. <laughs> the federales ended up doing a lot of the research behind this, and they freaking found out about Mr. Chadwick and the reward that was offered for him and they captured his ass and gave him to the U.S. Marshals. Did they they get the reward? I don't know. It did not say. But when the police arrived, he was surrendered with no signs of of any kind of a struggle, was actually relieved to have been caught because I think that, you know, living on the run in that sort of a situation has got to be pretty terrifying when you're constantly well, worried. and he doesn't have a good quality of life anymore. He's staying no. at, like, dingy hotels. Life's not going great for him. No. Definitely a far cry from Newport Beach. But the police believe that QC had uncovered the dark side of Peter and decided she didn't want any part of it, and he didn't want a divorce because you have to split half of everything right. or he just got enraged that she was confronting him over what I think conceivably could be pretty embarrassing when you're confronted with that sort of information. Right. I mean, sex workers, abortions, Torture? like clearly he was, yeah, clearly he was, you know, having sex with a lot of other people, right? whether he was paying them or not. But this dude is just so freaking creepy to me. 
I just don't understand him. And then he threw the $10,000 cash and the purse and everything from QC along with her body in a dumpster. So that just pretty much eliminates his entire story. So the $10,000 that Juan made him take from the safe, he threw in the dumpster with her body. Yes, with the wife's body. So he kept trying to say in the 911 call, if you remember, that they wanted to cut her body up and take her to Mexico and all this stuff. Number one, why the fuck would they do that? Right. I mean, I could see maybe cutting her body up and putting it in a bunch of different places so that you'd never find it, which is what he was saying they were trying to do. But for them, for him to then throw the body in a dumpster along with the money just yeah. deletes this whole story. Because yeah. what the fuck are the, is this two, two men, presumably... Gonna, why are they going to dump the money and take off? They're going to take the money and leave the body if they're going to do anything that, at all. Uh, that seems like the entire motivation for doing this, if you believe his story. It just seems like he shoots... He literally shoots himself in the right. foot like a million times with fucking up his story. He can't keep his story straight, and it's really fucking shady. In any case, the police got him. He was captured August 5th, 2019, and returned to the county that he did the murder in to stand trial. He has not made bail. They Good. refuse to give it to him, obviously, in this instance, given the history that is going on here. And there is no date set for the trial. So that is where it stands now. The boys are doing as well as can be expected, considering they lost both their parents. Peter has still made really no moves to see his kids or to have any sort of relationship with them, which just is disgusting. Mm -hmm. Like, really, you, you are so narcissistic and selfish and disgusting that you only care about yourself. And that's pretty obvious because he drained all the bank accounts and there was no money for the kids. Do we know who the kids are staying with now? They're staying with her family. Her family. Okay. Yeah. They're the being States? taken care of. Yes. They're in the States. Okay. And they're doing as well as can be expected. All three are at boarding school, getting a good education at least, but... QC, they, were, they took her body and returned it back to the area that she lived in and set her up with a, a beautiful gravestone acknowledging that she was a loved mother and wife and all that kind of stuff, which I thought was really interesting because it says loved by children, loved by family, loved by husband, all that kind of... By like, husband? That's not love. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The husband is on the, the headstone. And I don't know if the tombstone was pretty much written out before the murder conviction, before they arrested him or what the deal was with that, but it, it sounds hella creepy that they would yeah. even reference him yeah. on her headstone. I mean, I certainly wouldn't want him on the headstone if it were my family member. It just, it just seems crazy that, that it was scripted out before the arrest or before she was buried. It still seems crazy because he seems obviously like he should have been a suspect from the beginning. I pretty much think he was. As soon as he called 911, right. I think he was a suspect. Because his call was so, just so shady. Maybe they're just really, like, forgiving people. I mean... Well, the thing is, people that are not career criminals will often, like, trap themselves in their stupid lies. And that's probably what yeah. they were waiting for him to do. They realize this guy's not the brightest bulb in the pack here. We, we just give him enough rope and let him hang himself. I mean, he trapped himself in his lie, like, as soon as he called. Like, that's the thing that I don't understand is why does he call 911? Why didn't he just fucking go to Mexico? He had all the money. Why did he do any he of this? He packed a fucking bag. Right. Like, he had the bag. He had the cash. He had the, a full day ahead, ahead of time before anybody knew anything was even wrong. 
Like, even when they did the welfare check and they went in the house, they were both missing. So it would have been a period of time before they realized that it was just the wife that was missing. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I think he was just that narcissistic that he thought to himself as he was driving around, well, no one's fucking caught me yet. No one is searching for me here. No one's going to get me. I'm smart enough to get myself out of this. I can concoct a story and no one will know that it's not the truth. I think it's just that. But it seems like. Narcissistic. It seems also like maybe he's driving around. He had like a fit of paranoia and was like, oh, fuck, what am I going to say if if they find out that she's missing? Like, I have to come up with a story to tell them about what happened. And the best I can come up with is Juan and Chi, which is just nonsense. I don't know. I mean, this to me is, is interesting as well because you start to think about, okay, was this premeditated? Did he plan this? Clearly, it does not look like he planned it, but did he think he was just going to get away with just going to go get a divorce and, and quietly leave the situation? Like, why would he just, why would such a mild-mannered and calm-appearing dude just suddenly snap and That's, kill her? I mean, I, I, I don't even know. I don't even, I don't even know. I mean, if we could only be a fly on the wall to for figure real. this shit out. But, and she bit him. She, clearly, she fucking right. fought back. Because he had her. scratches and he had bite marks. Unless you believe that Juan had a two-inch knife on him. And, and Juan bit him. Right. Naturally, and we I have find a knife. particularly interesting that he picks an Asian dude and a, and a Mexican dude to kind of, like, name his fake characters after. And doesn't realize that there's going to be CCTV footage everywhere that's not going to show Juan and Chi. Like, who the fuck? Right. Really? Chi? I don't know. Is that a common name in the Asian community? Maybe. I don't know. I mean, the thing was, he had a lot of familiarity with Malaysia, with a lot. Mm-hmm. He traveled in a lot of Asian countries in Japan and China. And so he, that's where they initially thought he was going to go, to an Asian country. But the area that he was in, in Puebla, is a lot of Americans, expats, right. and Asians. Huh. So he kind of maybe thought he was going to blend in a little bit. But he, you know, a little plastic surgery, a little dyed hair, a little goatee, just fit right in with those folks. Playing tennis, living his best life. I don't even know what to say about this. This is just, like, this is just... He just seems like the most bumbling, absent-minded, stupid criminal. <laughs> like, it's bonkers that from I've heard TV, of. Top, top to bottom. Completely bonkers. Like, at, yeah. at no point can I wrap my head around it and anticipate what was happening next. And This is why we can't have nice <laughs> things. <laughs> and this is why we can't have nice things. And, like, <laughs> usually when we do these stories, when we record, like, you've heard of the thing I'm going to talk about. I've heard of the thing you're going to talk about. I've never heard of this. So I was learning I thought this it. would be a nice little surprise for Darcy. <laughs> and... Surprise! Yeah, and I mean... <laughs> It's interesting to kind of hear your, your, your first impressions on it, too, and, and really hear what and you, you know, think I like after you hear the 911 call. And then when all the details start to spill out, then you're like, holy fuck. Is he really that dumb? I can't even, like, put it into words what I think. Like, I don't even know what I think. This is so beyond any kind of common sense. And, like... I struggle with things that don't make common sense. Like, it makes me angry when things don't make sense. And this is a thing that doesn't make any sense. And I don't know what to and do And he's with such it. a contradiction. He's completely a contradiction. On the one hand, he's like, oh, shit, I better go home and have a 100-day candlelight vigil for my wife. 
tried to take her to Mexico, but yet at the same time, he doesn't want to have any contact with his sons, his three sons. Who, who the fuck does that? I've never heard of a hundred days. Like, how vigil. did he like come up with that idea? Did he have like a PR person who was like, "Hey, you better do something real quick because people are super suspicious." <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna have a special press press conference every day just to prove how awesome you are. This doesn't look great, and I think it's gonna take about a hundred days before it starts to even, look better for you. Just, like, what perplexing. the fuck? And the thing is, like, this whole thing happened in 2012. It is 2019, and this dude has still not been to trial. Nope. And you said there's not a trial date? Maybe because the lawyers can't figure out what the fuck. Seriously. But I thought this case was really interesting for a couple of different reasons. Number one, you know how I love my little cases where the husband kills the wife in a really Uh stupid way, right? So I was interested in that. Number two, they found... Her body in San Diego, which is a mm-hmm. personal connection since I live in San Diego. Mm-hmm. Number three, the national, the international manhunt for this guy, how he was able to stay at large for five years, yeah. essentially. And the fact that it is so relevant currently because they just caught him a couple of weeks ago. Well, I have literally heard so many podcasts about this case and pleased by international authorities all over the world trying to find this guy and they fucking found him and the other reason that you really like this case that we talked about before is the 911 call uh yeah when i hear crazy 911 calls i get all excited because it just sounds like a I fucking act uh, no no part of that phone call sounds genuine to me in any way shape or form but like it's so poorly done it's not even it's not even fake it well. sounds like it's like scripted Right? But it's not because it's like, did you, did you watch The Office? Uh, not really. Okay. Well, uh, there's like one little moment when Steve Carell's character, Michael Scott, is talking to the camera and he looks and he's like, sometimes I start a sentence and I don't even know where it's going to go. I don't even know how it's going to finish. It's like that, Except but with Except it's an 911 call. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I have, I have nothing. To me... This is what is, like, even more perplexing. Because this dude was, like, super chill, super, like, low-key, introverted. It's those ones you got to worry about. Yeah. Those are the ones that are fucking planning on murdering people in their head. Those are the ones that are strangling you in their head. As soon as you turn around, they're imagining it. As somebody who, like, is very introverted and doesn't talk a lot in crowds, I'm not a violent person, but I don't trust other people no. that are quiet That's like that. That's creepy. You're not that quiet. <laughs> You're not that creepy quiet. You're just, like, norm quiet. That's, like, creepy quiet. Yeah, that's true. I do uh, pretty... I interact pretty okay. When I I see the pictures of them as a couple, it doesn't look like they belong together either. It seems very odd. I think that's pretty common with British men. (laughs) They don't often look like they belong There's nothing about (laughs) British dudes... (laughs) There's nothing about British dudes that I find attractive whatsoever in any way, shape, or form. I know people are all like, oh, Prince William, no. he's so hot. No. I, there's nothing attractive no. about British men to me. I like a ginger, so, you know, I like Prince Harry. But ah! <laughs> <laughs> She's disclosing all the that. details. You well, know that. Should we go ahead and wrap it up? Yeah. Is there anything else you want to add? No. Keep me updated because this is... Except how, how bonkers you think it is. Yeah. Keep us updated because this is banana sandwich. I don't even, I don't even know. 
Well, as soon as this starts to progress forward and the trial gets set and everything, I will bring some details. I love Newport Beach. Yeah, that's where these, this whole thing supposedly happened. So I was like, what? Newport mm-hmm. Beach? This shit happened in Newport Beach? Because it's such a, like, a little beachy mm-hmm. town. There's like this boardwalk. It's beautiful. It's on the water. Everything is really quaint mm-hmm. and cute and small and quiet. You just don't think of shit like this happening in a town yeah, like I that. Yeah, I like Newport and Laguna. I like Orange County. Oh, yeah. Oh, mm-hmm. yeah. It's beautiful. Anyway... If you have any questions, comments, or concerns, or you want to talk to us more about this case, feel free to shoot us an email. We're at thebfdpodcast at gmail.com. Social media, where are we at, Dars? We are at thebfdpodcast on both Twitter and Instagram. Follow us, like our shit, respond to us, send us, slide into our DMs. We're okay with any of that. <laughs> the DMs <laughs> are open. Definitely down for any of that. <laughs> the DMs are open for business. <laughs> Go for it. <laughs> Uh, <laughs> please join us again next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild stuff. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay safe, keep it real, and always live your best life. Bye. Bye, guys.